In Matthew chapter 6, it says, Who by worrying can add to their life? Pandemic. Do not worry about tomorrow. Pagans run after these things. National emergency. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. are melting so fast. They dismiss a lot. An interesting fact about humanity is that whatever you feed grows. A financial pandemic. If you feed your faith, it grows. If you feed your fears, they grow. All spiral very quickly. It's going to get worse. Some have to live and some have to die. Realize that our time is better spent talking to the Father than getting all worked up and reading and feeding our minds with the news and the media about what everybody is saying about how this is doom and gloom and how money, which we have hoped in, is lost. Hope not in money. Hope in your Father, your God, Jesus Christ, your Savior. Have your faith and use it. Walk according to it. Whatever you feed grows. This is the time to press into the church, lean into the church, to be surrounded by God's people. We can offer prayers for one another. We can offer hope to one another. We can speak words of truth to one another. If you feast on the word of God and you renew your minds around the truth, your faith, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you go to the news and you read article after article after quote after talking head and you continue to feed those fears, they grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Whatever you feed grows. Well, it's good to be with you again. I was reading this week about a statue in Bangkok, Thailand. And um, it's a statue of like one of the world's largest Buddha statues. And in 1955, they were moving this statue. And uh, one of the things that happened while moving is, is it, was, it was basically a concrete or stucco uh, structure with some glass, colored glass. But when they were moving it on kind of the last part of this move, uh, it, it kind of broke free from the ropes and the statue fell hard to the ground. And what ended up happening is it was cracking open and the largest chunk of solid gold was ever discovered. <laughs> and it was believed that this statue was actually crafted in the 1200s. But a few hundred years later, it was encased in concrete to sort of conceal its significance from thieves. And when all the stucco was removed, it was found that the gold was actually consisted of nine parts that fit sort of smoothly together. And the statue is almost 10 feet tall of solid gold, weighing about five and a half tons, worth approximately $250 million. So the question that I had is that we all go through pressure. We all have our pressure points. We all go through struggle and to varying degrees, some level of suffering. The question is, is that, What's inside of us when we crack? Because it's not if, it's when we kind of have to boil over. What's revealed when we feel the pressure and the squeeze of life? See, here's my point. Suffering and struggle always reveal both our hope 
and our pain. And this is not sort of a, a message to somehow say you're not supposed to feel a certain way, or if you struggle and you doubt, it's that somehow you have a weak faith. No, what I'm trying to suggest to you is that regardless of what's going on around us, we're both, we're going to reveal both our pain and our hope. And what we've been doing is going through these Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent, originally for the people of God, were on this yearly pilgrimage that they would be returning to Jerusalem. They would be actively pausing the rest of their life to seek after the presence of God, but do it in community. See, the Hebrews didn't have a privatized, individualistic, private faith. Faith was always supposed to be experienced in community. And so this journey that they were on is also kind of the journey we're on, where we're returning and turning toward God. And we all need practice returning to God for lots of reasons. Because it seems just too normal. It seems too normal to grow cold, distant, weary, and distracted. That seems to be the normal. And today, what I want to talk about is that we need hope that finds room to breathe. What I mean by that is, for hope to breathe, we need to acknowledge, work through, and even heal in the midst of struggle. It's not that we wait to get through it, it's that we can find healing and hope in the midst of it. Now, the Psalms of Ascent, or what's often called the Pilgrim Psalms, um, is Psalm 120 to 134. Today, I want to look at Psalm 130. I'm going to be reading from the message version. Uh, so again, if you have your, your Bibles uh, with you, you know, tune in with me, but we'll have it posted in the chat section. Now, Psalm 130, this psalm is a complaint of a special kind. Remember, these were songs that would be sung in community while people are taking the journey to Jerusalem in the presence of God. And the author does not ask for destruction of one's enemies, but simply turns to God for the forgiveness of their own sins. Pause. It is very normal for me to pray prayers about other people saying, God, in some way, could you make them more bearable for me? God, would you change this thing about them so that they would be easier for me to handle? But the reality is, is they bear the image of God as much as I do. And what this psalmist is doing is not saying, God, would you like call down fire from hell or heaven on this person? Uh, he's just simply taking responsibility for his own life and asking God for the forgiveness of his own sins. That's a super critical perspective to approach. And here's what I absolutely love about this passage that we're going to read. The psalm gives dignity to our suffering. Dignity to our suffering. It doesn't look on it as something slightly embarrassing that we should somehow hide or keep hidden for appearances sake. And it doesn't treat it as a mystery that, oh, it requires theologians to somehow work out an answer. Oh, God works in mysterious way. No, no, no. That's not what this is about. The suffering in this Psalm 130 is set openly before God, without shame, without embarrassment, without mystery, and he places it before God. Listen to how he says this, Psalm 130, hope in the Lord's forgiving love. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. 
I don't know how many of you are wrestling with despair in some categorical area of your life, but think about this. From the depths of despair, oh Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, oh Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you had kept a record of our sins, who, oh Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. So let's just pause right there. Forgiveness is an act of mercy, and it's always a two-way street. It means to both give and receive healing. And it's only when we understand God's mercy that helps us develop a healthy fear of the Lord, as in a reverence for God. It's when we resist mercy, withhold forgiveness, that our struggle always spreads like a cancer. The gospel later, when Jesus arrives, and we have these eyewitness accounts, the gospel offers a completely different point of view for our suffering and our struggle. It eliminates the idea of whether you deserve it or not. So whether you're a recent immigrant or a high-income earner, whether you're a person of color um, or a person that's been afforded more opportunity, there is a level playing field. And here's what we learn. Suffering, our struggle, <clears throat> is both real and unique to each of us. And the gospel says that in our struggle, we enter the depths. In our struggle, we're at the heart of things. The gospel would say when we're near to Christ, we're near to where Christ was on the cross. We actually have companionship in the midst of suffering and struggle. And so it's really important for us to reconcile what we believe is true about God and what we endure each and every day. Now, he goes on to say this. This is verse 5. I'm counting the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I've put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Or one translation would say more than watchmen wait for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. Oh Lord, hope in the Lord. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is an unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Now, the phrase in verse 6, watchman for the morning, expresses not only an intense yearning, but a certainty for hope. Whatever you're going through right now, I wonder if you have a certainty for hope that this too shall pass or that God is in fact in it or that healing and restoration is actually possible. Have you ever driven through the night? Have you ever been a road trip person where you're driving through the night and you're fighting off fatigue, right? I mean, we've all pulled an all-nighter at some point. And when you're driving, the road gets really monotonous. And the darkness of the sky falls, and you're like, it seems to be getting even darker, right? And you fight through the weariness, the sleeplessness, the monotony of it. I don't know what your tricks are. Sometimes I have to crank up the air conditioner, and my family's like, it's freezing in here. I go, I know, but I need to stay awake. Or you, you, you may crack the windows. Or for me... I chew sunflower seeds, because uh, if I keep drinking coffee, then we have to make too many stops. Whatever your trick is, you know dawn will come, but it feels like it's not coming fast enough. 
And this is what the verse is saying, a watchman or a sentry long for dawn. It's, it's something that we all relate to when we're waiting. Have you been praying the same prayer for weeks or months or years? A praying a prayer of healing, of salvation, of forgiveness? See, often we wait with anxious thoughts, but we wait because that's the only thing that we can do. And then it happens. Light breaks through the dawn of a new day. And, and you knew it would arrive. And the last thing you do at this point when dawn emerges and the sunrise comes is you feel tired. You're, you're, you're enamored with this breathtaking reality of a sunrise that the ability to uh, renew your strength is in reach. That's the picture of struggle and suffering and hoping at the same time. See, it's difficult to find anyone in our culture who gives much respect or credit when one suffers. In fact, don't you find that it's kind of common for some of us to assume that a person might somehow deserve the consequences because, well, they made bad choices or they made irresponsible choices. But hear me out. Haven't we all made the best decisions with the best information, with the best motive, and things still not work out? See, we also live in a time when everyone's goal is to always be happy and constantly healthy. But if any one of us falls to live up to the standards that are expected as normal, we fear being labeled as a problem to be solved or maybe possibly a candidate for therapy and medication. That's not what this psalm is saying. The psalm gives dignity to our struggle because mercy is our hope and always readily available. And there's an even playing field. So for the person who suffers, has suffered, or will suffer, Psalm 130 understands the big difference is not what people suffer, but in the way people suffer. We are a country that is suffering deeply from racial injustice, economic uncertainty, and oh, a global pandemic in an election year. The last thing we should do is try and fend for ourselves, but the most we can do is come together and recognize that even in the midst of dark places, hope is in reach, dawn will break. Some of you remember uh, a dear friend of mine, his, his name's Sam Earp, and Sam is uh, about 70 years old, and he's someone that I've often gone to for advice, for wisdom. Sam has taught in seminaries. He's been on uh, global uh, missions uh, outreach. He's been a pastor for years. Um, He's one of those men that just have a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom. But Sam was also married uh, for a long time to Norma, and Norma was battling dementia. And a few years ago, I had a chance to meet with Sam. And um, he could no longer teach, he could no longer pastor, he could no longer travel, or really consistently meet with people because of her care required his full-time attention. And so he would just make time for people in Zoom calls and, and, and maybe a coffee appointment when he could sneak away. But he had a lot to give, but he was committed to his wife's full-time care. 
we were talking one day about prayer, specifically being able to hear from God. When you're at that, crest, that, that, that sort of pivotal point where you need to hear from God or you're just waiting for a long time and, and you're just waiting on God, wondering why is God being silent? And he looked at me and he began to tell the story. He had just finished bathing his wife because as a full-time caregiver, that's what you do. That's what you do with your vows. When she can hardly remember you, let alone say thank you and appreciate it, he had just finished bathing her, got her diaper on, getting her dressed, and he got a whiff of a very foul odor, and he realized that she had just messed her pants after getting fully cleaned up. And so he takes her clothes back off, only to clean her up again. And as she's standing there, she goes right on the bathroom floor. This is a man who has no pretense. This is a man who's just shooting straight with me. And with a tear kind of glassing up and coming to his eye, he, he says, in that moment, with such anger, such frustration, because he's running a long race with her, as if this emotion is still fresh, he turns to God and he says, I've had it. Can you hear me? And he looks at me and he says, David, this was, this was what God was trying to get across to me. God was continually asking me the same question. Can you hear me? Because it's not that I've been absent. I've been trying to talk to you all along. I'm with you in your struggle, in your despair, in your beautiful sunrises and your abundance and your blessing. I'm a part of it all. Yes, I hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me? I love that Psalm 130 gives dignity to our struggle and suffering. And there's a range in, in, in struggle and suffering for sure. But the two great realities of Psalm 130 is this. Suffering is real. No, duh. And wait for it because this is going to blow your mind. God is real. And they can be present at the same time. Seriously, those two things go hand in hand. God not only relates to the struggle, he's in it. And this, this is great theology because it's re rooted in both reality and in hope. We accept suffering, we believe in God. That's the way this thing works. And it's usually only after the wheels come off in some part of our life, in our, in, in our nation, that we're able to accept and believe that, in fact, God is real and present and inviting us down this path, this journey towards healing and restoration. And part of healing is also becoming an agent of healing. That's the good news. And so the people of God would be reminded of this song as they sung in returning to the presence of God. And just like you've logged on this morning to return to the presence of God in community, we're reminded that whatever we go through from Monday to Saturday, we don't go through it alone and we don't go through it without God's watchful eye and huge heart. I hope that encourages you today. Right now, I want to go into a time of worship where we reflect on that promise, that reality that suffering is real and God is real.